Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. In today's episode, we visit with Ian Malone, author of Detron City Vice, a science fiction thriller among his collection of character-charged sci-fi with a shot of rock and roll. The age of human division should have ended five years ago when the decades-old war between the Aran Alliance and the Alistairian Empire drew to a close. Turns out, things change. And nowhere is this more evident than in the bustling streets of Detron City, place where thrills are chased by thousands, deals are made to impact millions, where temptations lie in wait beneath the neon glow and lavish excesses of the city's nightlife for anyone seeking an escape. It's also a place where people vanish. Protagonist Danny Tucker is a retired orange staff sergeant and an ex-cop from Miami living in Detron City. He just got a call. A friend's son has gone missing. Ian, welcome to the show. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, feels like forever we've been dancing around each other to try and make this little soiree happen. So I'm glad we could finally uh, finally make the deal happen. Yeah, exactly. And you got that uh, you got that radio voice, that podcast voice, because you are a podcaster too, right? Uh, I I was. Yep, for a long time. I did uh, did the old FM radio. I did everything from classic rock to alt rock to sports talk radio, news talk. Uh, I did country, I did top 40, I did adult contemporary, I did hot AC. Yeah, a little, little of everything. A little of everything. And now you're sort of taking your passion here uh, and you're, you know, not just writing sci-fi, but you got this thing called the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast is, is really more of a pet project than anything else. You know, being being a sports guy all my life, um, you know, people find that out very quickly about me, whether it's, you know, I have sports references in my writing or whether it's when we're all sitting around a, a bar at a con somewhere and the subject of college football or NASCAR racing or the NFL or Major League Baseball, whatever comes up, 
you know, any, anybody in the room who's a fan of sports typically tends to gravitate toward my direction. So, you know, once word got out that I was a sports guy and I love spaceships and aliens and all that good stuff, it, it became clear to me that, you know, listen, there's a group of people out there that we do love both. You know, we love pigskins and, uh, and, and baseballs just as much as we love starships and first contact. And so the Dudes of Hyperspace podcast was kind of born out of that. It was it was meant to meet that group of people who love to come up to cons and talk with me about the stuff that I write or the stuff that I cook on a grill outside my house or, you know, the, the libations that I choose to consume on Friday nights and what my flavor of the week is there or, uh, you know, what, what it is I'm watching on, on game day weekends. So uh, that's kind of the theme of the podcast is it is the nexus of geekery and guy world. We, we cover it all. And that's great. So um, where does this love for you of outer space come from? You've written in a variety of genres over the years. You've written about public health, news, sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. How did you arrive in outer space? Uh, I guess I got to blame that one on my dad. Uh, The first movie I remember going to as a kid, and I vaguely remember it because I was three was the empire strikes back. Um, my dad took me, I was in a theater for star Wars in 1977, uh, you know, at a year old. And, uh, so naturally I don't remember that, but you know, my dad loved it like everybody else did. And so he went to go see empire strikes back in 80. And I vaguely remember being in a theater with him for that. So, uh, from there, you know, it just, it, it hit me as I got older, my next door neighbor growing up, had uh, one of these magical, mystical things called a laser disc player, and he had two things to choose from. Just bear in mind, we lived out in the sticks in North Florida, so there was no cable, there was no satellite. This is long before all of that. You had whatever was on your television dial, which was like three channels. So anytime we'd go to the neighbor's house, he had two movies: Star Wars and Chitty Chitty uh, Bang Bang. And Star Wars was always Ian's choice. So uh, that was it. You know, I, I was raised on the Star Wars trilogy. You fast forward to 87, Star Trek The Next Generation comes out. I had long since been turned on to the, you know, the films and the Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock and all that. I didn't quite get into the original series until I was older, but eventually got into that. I followed all the Trek stuff all through the 90s with Voyager, DS9, Enterprise, all of it, all the films. Then a little thing called Firefly rolls around and just completely sets everything on its ear. Because the other thing I loved as a kid, as much as I love spaceships, was Westerns. And so that, you know, became a big thing. And I mean, just all my life, science fiction has always been there. Um, You know, you'll note there that I didn't really get a whole lot of reading in in the science fiction world. Um, It's because I'm legally blind. So for me, you know, reading did not become something that was terribly accessible to me until I was later in life. You know, growing up as a kid... I had access to books on tape. And when I say tape, I don't mean a CD. I mean like actual cassettes that you got from the library or the National Library for the Blind. And their selection was pretty minimal. I had Jaws and The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> that was pretty much about it in the way of fiction. So, uh, you know, roll around to the the early 2000s and the advent of the iPod. You know, now I could I could carry a library in the palm of my pocket, in the palm of my hand, literally. And at that point, I mean, for me, I was reading books on a daily, if not weekly basis. Yeah, before we finish today, I want to talk to you about uh, how you write and write so well with, uh, you know, being legally blind. But before we do that, you know, you're a resident of Raleigh. Uh, you say you're always, you've always been a Florida boy at heart. Your main character in this book is a Florida boy, too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Danny Tucker, he's from Miami. 
Um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, originally native of, of Dade County, moved to Tampa just before high school. That's where he hooks up with Lee Summerston, who is another big name that fans will get to know in, in the Mako series. Uh, and then they move on to Florida State for college, which is where they meet the rest of the gang that pretty well comprises what eventually became called the Mako Saga. And that's the original trilogy of books in that series, Mako, Red Sky Dawning, and At Circle's End. Um, when I wrapped at Circles in, that was around hey, 2016, I guess. Uh, took a break, decided I wanted to go do some other things. Uh, wrote a, a couple of other books, wrote in a couple of different short story anthologies and, and some other people's sandboxes. And then, you know, a number of years later, it was it was time to come home, as I say, to the Makoverse. And that was when I kicked off the idea of writing a spinoff book and Danny was going to be the lead guy. Yeah, okay. Well, this is... Uh... I'm looking at your book cover here for Detron City Vice. It, uh, you know, it feels, you know, you got this uh, sun rising in the distance, and uh, this one one fellow, he, he's dressed a little bit like he could be a uh, mind. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that's all very intentional. Uh, that is hands down one of my favorite covers ever. By the way, I mean, yeah. you know, as as writers, we always kind of have the vision of what ideally we really want our covers to look like when they get sent off to the cover artist, you know, but we're not, we're not, you know, we're not artists, artists, or at least I'm certainly not. I'm good Lord. I murdered stick figures. Um, but anyway, so there's, there's always that curiosity that, okay, this is how I, I see it up here when it goes to the artist, how's it really going to come out? And the folks over at Theogony books for my money hit it out of the park. I mean, I wanted a, a very Miami vice feel, for a lot of different reasons. And I felt like they, they really nailed it. I will tell you that everything on that cover is in the story from the suit to the car, to the, the female mercenary there, uh, the beach, it's all in the actual story and readers will find that out when they read the book. It feels a little bit like a combination, you know, on another world between a gritty Detroit and a glitzy South beach, Miami without the beach. Yes. That is very, very That's much it. what it is. That's exactly what right. it is to a T. The The beach aspect of it is actually on a different world. That is not in Detron City. Detron City is more of that gritty Detroit, you know, city by the bay kind of a kind of a vibe. Um, the, the beach scene is actually on a planet called Rimonia that you'll meet probably about two-thirds of the way through the story. All right. Well, before we get, uh, you know, under the covers there, just uh... – one more thing here. You're, you're an active member of the science fiction and fantasy writers of America. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Is that some kind of secret society or something? <laughs> no, it's uh, if, if you believe all the, the press, it's, um, you know, CIFWA is one of the premier organizations. If you're a sci-fi writer, like that's where you want to be. All of the headliners are in there. Um, so, you know, you get a chance to kind of count yourself among the professionals, professionals in, in your craft. Um, it's also a great way to network and a great way to learn from other people. Um, you know, they, they like a lot of different literary organizations of that ilk do a, a great job of connecting you with resources that can make you better or, you know, uh, uh, people that can help you take your, you know, your platform to another different level and find new readers than you had before. Um, so it's, it's very much about just connecting with your peers, finding new things to learn and branching out in your industry. And that's what they do. All right, were well, you ready to get under the covers with me? Yeah, man. Hey, listeners, just a quick shout out here for one of our uh, team members here at Charlotte Roos Podcast. Uh, it's Social Grip Marketing. 
Uh, as a creator, I really love collaborating with other creative people, especially the kind of social grit who know their craft. And I appreciate what they've done with the look and the reach of Charlotte Readers Podcast Facebook and Instagram pages. Wade and Renee have been easy and fun to work with, and their efforts show that they generally want this podcast to succeed, which is something I really like. Uh, they even have a nice bedside manner for those off-the-wall ideas I've thrown at them from time to time, and they usually offer you know, a clever tweak or a better idea instead. So as a podcast whose mission is to help authors tell their stories, uh, you know, with Wade and Renee's help, uh, I've come to realize that social media is all about storytelling too, and that's what they do. They help me tell the stories of the authors uh, and what we're trying to do with the podcast here. Oh, and they have a sense of humor too, which is good for, you know, an old guy like me. But uh, definitely a plus in the world of social media. Uh, Also, just a few things I want to share with you about some of the benefits that uh, you can get by listening uh, to Charlotte Readers Podcast. If you sign up for our email list at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, we will send you uh, a free ebook, the first book in my Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. We promise not to spam you. That just takes way too much time. We just provide a bi-weekly newsletter to let uh, listeners know what's coming and uh, allow you to engage with the show. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word. You may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. Okay, we're here with uh, Ian Malone. He's the author of Detron City Vice. It's part of the Mako Universe novel series. And uh, uh, Ian, let's just start off a little bit talking about this world uh, that uh, you've created here for this this series, because as I'm reading it, uh, I'm trying to count things on my hand. It's where all the plant you, you got Earth, you got Marlowe three, you got the bog, you got mm-hmm. Iric four. I'm curious about the bog. It seems like this just sort of vast space out there between, I don't know, competing planets. What what is the bog? Yeah, kind of sort of. Yeah, it's um you know the the thing about Detrin City Vice is it's the first book to be told in peacetime. All right, the first three books in the series that are that comprise the Mako saga, which is a trilogy. Um, you know, one of the, the huge story arcs is this decades long war between the Arn Alliance and the Alistarian empire. And you find out, you know, pretty quick in book one, that the Alistarians are actually a group of Aurans who seceded from their world because they had a, a ton of differences with leadership and how they wanted society to be run in the wake of an alien invasion. You know, you had one group that said, we want to build for defense and nothing more. And then you had another group that said, we need to be the baddest MFers in the, in the Valley with the biggest stick. And that means building tons and tons of ships and, and basically reorienting, reorienting our entire way of life around the military. And there was a big vote and the Alistarians lost. And so they said, well, fine, peace out. We're going to go find another world where we can build the society that we want. And everybody lived fine on their sides of, of the fence until such time as uh, they figured out that there was a planet between them that housed a mineral that everybody needed and such began the war. So, you know, the trilogy deals with the war between those two groups and a lot happens as, as does in space opera. This book is told five years after the events of, of, of that story. 
Uh, and it's set at a time when the war is over and there's peace between the two superpowers, the Alliance and the Empire, now kind of called the Union. And, um, you know, and, and, and it, it's a very different type of space to write in. Um, within the context of the story, you know, you asked what the bog is. The Empire, particularly in their latter years, was pretty notorious for just annexing worlds. Um, once my my big bad kind of got into power around book two, I mean, he pretty well just started forcing people in into their territory for their resources and whatever they had to give, and they didn't have much choice in the matter. So one of the first things the chancellor of that world had to do once peace came back around and they got back control of their their group was to tell all of those worlds, listen, you know, we realize that many of you were brought here not by your own doing. All right. You were forced into this. So we would love to invite you to be a part of this new entity that we're going to build, a union where everybody can take part, have equal rights, um, and enjoy the, the same privileges out in the rim as you do in the core. You have my word that you will get that. If, however, you feel like you just can't trust us anymore, you have your, your freedom to go, and nobody here is going to stop you. So there were a number of worlds that went the way of the alliance and said, thank you, we're out. We're going to the Auron side of the fence. But there were a number of worlds right smack dab between the two per, uh, territories that decided – we don't trust either of you guys, and we're going to go do our own thing. So leave us alone. We're going to stay out here in our little corner of the quadrant, and we don't want to deal with anybody. And that becomes the League of Independent Worlds. And it's kind of a backwater stretch of the, of the quadrant that gets nicknamed the Bog. And that's what the Bog is. It's about 14 star systems who decided they were fed up with the status quo with both of the superpowers, said, we don't want anything to do with either of you guys. We're going to go do our own thing. And thus this third kind of mini group sprouts up and that is the league of independent worlds all right well let's talk about this uh, it's fascinating to me to listen to you talk about this setting because you're talking about them as if they're if they're out there i mean you, you really are you're you're this is part of your uh, story it's part of your universe you built this up and and you've added to it with this book here uh this location detron city uh, tell us about that world and a little bit about detron city Detron City is really kind of the face of the League of, Ind of Independent Worlds. Uh, there is not a capital of, of the bog. You'll, you'll hear me say the League and the bog interchangeably because they are. Um, you know, there is not a, a capital to the bog because there is no centralized government. You know, one of the big tenets of the League is that every world has complete and total sovereignty over itself and its citizens to run their affairs however they see fit. And as long as they abide by a defense pact, a basic defense pact, and they abide by a trade pact that will, you know, jumpstart commerce in the region for everybody, then at that point, it's hands off. You do your thing. I'm going to do mine. Um, Detron City is really kind of the, the face of what that looks like. Uh, I tell people that Detron City is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's Las Vegas meets Amsterdam. You know, it, it's, it's a huge, huge city of about 10 million people where all kinds of commerce takes place. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff that you can get into, namely in the Dreamland District, which is kind of like the Strip or the Red Light District. Um, you know, if, if you want to find illicit thrills, you can find it down there because it's it's not outlawed here. And that sort of uh, plays into your plot a little bit because uh, a couple of chapters into the book, uh, our main character here, he is having, you know, been doing some freelance work on his own. He gets... Uh, sort of an assignment that he volunteers for to go try to find this uh, uh, son of a man who's missing. Uh, and it's all tied to this drug trade. There's a, there's a 
drug that's being, I suppose, imported into Detron City from out somewhere? Is it in the bog somewhere? It's Yeah, Detron City is in the bog. So, you know, the, the drug you're referring to is called Kaya Dust. Um, it's made made from a, a plant called Kaya that um, that grows wild on a number of different worlds, one in particular out in the bog. So Kaya Dust is perfectly legal inside the borders of the League of Independent Worlds. The problem is people who sell that particular product decide that, well, we got two giant superpowers out there with all new worlds and star systems of people who would love to have our product. We should go there and make more money. And uh, and so once this stuff starts appearing in the prime territories, they are not cool with it. It is not legal there. And so it becomes a matter of, listen, you know, what you decide is legal in your in your world, in your system, in your you know, corner of the of the galaxy. That's fine for you. Keep it out of mind. We don't want it here. But not everybody wants to play by those rules. And that's how Danny gets roped into this. You know, he lives in Detron City. He's retired there, runs a freight operation with with some buddies from the war. But he gets a call from one of his friends from the original Mako series who says, listen, you know, a, a son, a friend of mine, his son has gone missing. And we think this stuff is related. You live out there. You know about this stuff. What can you tell us? And so that's kind of what starts him down the path to figuring this out. Yeah, that's great. And so, um, Ian, we normally do about this time of the show, a little short reading. Uh, uh, and we, we kind of ask authors to, to kind of read from the beginning. And you, you've told me that it would be difficult for you to do that. Uh, you do have some reader capabilities, but uh, you, you've you graciously uh, allowed me to be a reader for you. I, uh, I To use a baseball term, uh, Go into the pen, bring out the righty. So I'm going to recruit one Landis Wade to do today's reading from Dutch and City of Ice. We're going to start with chapter one, and it's called Encounter. All right. Danny Tucker had never longed for a shower more in his life. At this point, the mere thought of it was intoxicating. All that heat and steam rushing over his skin in a watery cascade of ecstasy, washing away the stench of the morning's job forever, until the next one comes along anyway. Danny frowned at his reflection in the mirror of his closet-sized bathroom. His short blonde hair, usually styled and neat, was matted in filth. It was the same for the stubble on his face, as well as the skin on his chest, shoulders, and limbs, all of which was covered in a translucent green goop that reeked of rotten eggs. It looked like a freaking mutant. Danny opened the shower door and put one foot inside. Kaboom! Ah, come on. Claxons blared as the room went weightless. Troop! A male voice trailed up from the comm panel by the john. We need you up here in ops right away. You have got to be kidding me. Danny shut off the shower before the water cloud around him could fully amass and pivoted off the metal towel rack toward the comm panel's mic But Tucker here. What the hell's going on, Reek? We're under attack, Reagan said. Yeah, don't say. <laughs> Danny's blue eyes rolled in the mirror. I who? No idea, Reagan said. So far, they haven't answered any of our hails. They seemed pretty hell-bent on getting our attention, though. Not sure why. The bone-jarring boom of weapon fire outside turned to audible thumps as the ship's energy shields came online. Damage? Danny asked. Noticeable, Regan said. I've got shots up here at Tactical working on our response, but I sure could use you at NAV. Danny palmed his face as his toothbrush floated past his nose. Copy that up, so I'm on my way. In the meantime, see if you can put some distance between us and that ship to keep hailing them. Oh, and tell shots no kill strikes until I arrive. I want to know who I'm dealing with before I give the order to blow them out of the stars. 
might be a good place to stop. <laughs> hey, there you go. Nothing like nothing like getting rude awakening just as you're about to hop in that shower that you've been waiting all day to get to. <laughs> yeah, this thing had uh, a feel to me like because uh, I, I I was a little older than you, Ian, uh, when that uh, Empire Strike Back came out. I was probably in college. Mm-hmm. I can remember going in there and watching those battle scenes, you know, and they all, all those movies always start out with somebody chasing somebody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a good one. And then you don't know why. And then there's a big battle. And then, you know, after that is over and after they escape or take out the, the menace this afternoon, you know, there, yet there's a sort of collective sigh of relief as they're on some world somewhere trying to plan their next steps. And in your book, in that case, you know, they've delivered their package, you know, their, their assigned freight and mm-hmm. meet this person, as you described earlier, and they get their next assignment, which is to go find this, this kid. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the job to go find the kid is actually a, a friend, a favor to a friend. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those, you've got two guys that have known each other for the better part of 25 years. And one calls the other and says, listen, I got a problem. And the other responds simply with, I'm on my way. So, um, you know, that family loyalty relationships, um, standing, standing by your loved ones is very much a, that is a key tenet of the Mako stuff. You know, when, when people talk about what they love about those books, it is the relationship between the characters and just the unwavering loyalty that they have toward each other because of everything that they've been through. So that seemed like a, a very clear place to make a jumping off point for this story. When one of the, when one of your people calls, you get on the road. And that's how we begin. Yeah. And then the story kind of, uh, I like the scene that comes next um, because when they end up at uh, the Detron City world within this universe, you know, they're trying to make contact with somebody that they think might lead them to this kid. And to do it, they've got to enter a road race and not only got to win the road race. And, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit, although the wheels were on the ground of that scene in one of the Star Wars movies where they were having a race, but they were sort of above ground. I can't remember which one that was. Yeah, that was um, one of the ones that was very forgettable from the early night or from the late 1990s. Yeah, one of the prequels or something, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, what um, the, the point of that was it's, um, you know, you, you mentioned the references to Miami Vice. Um that came about because very early on in the very first book, you find out that Link Baxter, one of the original characters, calls Danny Tucker Crockett. Why? That's just a nickname from college. And the reason for that is because he's a good looking guy from Miami who dresses sharp, drives a sports car and is a cop. Simple enough. So when I started to, to set out this book and I was trying to figure out exactly what kind of story I wanted to tell, I knew I didn't want it to be just a straight up space opera, big worlds versus big worlds and conflict and fleets and all that. I wanted this to be a much more human boots on the ground adventure, borderline kind of police procedural type of thing. And that's because Danny's got, you know, credentials as an investigator. He knows how to find people. He knows how to solve issues, solve problems. And so when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to structure that, that, you know, I kept coming back to that nickname of Crockett. And I thought, well, why not just tell a Miami Vice story in space? I, I grew up on Miami Vice. That was one of my favorite shows as a kid in the 80s. And, you know, that meant dialing in a lot of those old tropes about fast cars and underworld, you know, drug underworlds and kingpins and illegal narcotics and smugglers and runners and, you know, all of that. 
And so, you know, when you talk about the the race, for example, which is a kind of a hybrid of a NASCAR event and a Formula One Grand Prix with aliens on another world, um, you know, the 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 point of that was because these guys have to make an impression on the middleman. All right. They've got to get to the boss who they believe is behind this trade. Uh, you know, that, that this kid has gotten wrapped up in and you don't ever get a meet with the boss. Anybody who ever follows a crime story, you know that you never meet the captain. You never meet the, the boss. You always got to meet the lieutenant or the captain and go through them to work your way up to the ladder. And a lot of times meeting the captain means you've got to give them something that they want. You've got to make an impression on them. And so Danny figures by entering this race and he just happens to have a novice of a, you know, a chief engineer, a kid who's a real prodigy with tech. They build this car and go racing. And that's how they turn this guy's head to be able to get into his employee. And then you go from there. So it was all kind of fit that Miami Vice mold of what I was trying to do, just with a sci-fi flair to it. Yeah. Where they go from there is they're going to go try to run some of these drugs for this organization and mm-hmm. then get out uh, into the universe and they get uh, you know, betrayed and then they get uh, end up on another planet. And then, and then he ends up in a prison cell and... Mm-hmm. And there's a scene, and I, I don't think I'm giving too much away here because we're still kind of in the middle of the book, but there's a scene where... You're getting toward the end, just saying. Okay, all right. Well, I don't want, I don't want to give too, <laughs> give too much away. Well, you know, you're, you're kind of in the middle, but he's he's in a cell, and he, he's it's, you're at this point where you hear something and you wonder, uh-oh, what's happening here? The empire will rise again sooner than you think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, listen, it, it's... Uh, history is is filled with guys who have military backgrounds or ex-military that stray off the path when the war is done and they don't know how to they don't know how to not fight they don't know how to exist in a world that um you know where where there is peace and so they turn back to their old tricks and start to parlay that into a quest for money or power or whatever the the case may be and the, the, the big villain for Detrin City Vice is very much cut from that kind of archetype, very much that type of cloth. Yeah, and so our, our protagonist finds himself in, in really sort of a much bigger challenge than he actually thought he was start, starting sure. out. Nothing ever goes to plan in these stories. Like, we do our best, but both in the story and as writers, we always end up spiraling out of control toward, mm-hmm. you know, something else, and you've got to roll with it and adapt. Because, yeah. you know, the character has no choice. They they have to roll with it. But as a writer, you have to roll with it, too. You know, for those of us who are, are you know, big outliners and we do our best to try and map and plot and do that to keep a good quality paced story, inevitably the creative juices take hold and you just start writing. And a lot of times you get stuff out of that that's just true magic. And you can't not put it in there. And that means kind of tweaking what it was you had originally envisioned for that point of the story and then moving forward. Yeah, that's a good transition to our writing life discussion here, which we're going to do right here at the end of the show. You, 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 uh, you, you told me that you're an avid fan of audiobooks, and that's because you're legally you listen to books on tape, although it's not necessarily tape anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. the thing I think that uh, you know you've probably talked about this before. But uh, how do you do what you do in uh, being legally blind? It's hard enough to write mm-hmm. as it is. You know, um, how do you do this? thing called writing uh, with the disability that you uh, deal with? Well, I mean, key, key word there is legally. I'm not totally blind. Long story short on me is I don't have any central vision, which is what you use to be able to read small print and see different, you know, see long distances. I don't have the ability to do that. I mean, I, I would tell people, 
Um, you know, look at this sign in front of you. Okay. You can read it now. Look, you know, six feet off to the left, focus your, your vision there and tell me how much of that sign you can read peripherally. That's all I have. So, uh, I compensate with that with screen magnifiers. Windows magnify is a uh, stock that's on every windows PC. Um, I load that up to about 900 X. That's what I do to be able to navigate uh, Microsoft Word, any sort of a, an office product, check email, do stuff like that. Um, if I'm going to read something fairly extensive, i.e. a book, it's typically always going to be an audio just because it gets really monotonous to try and read for long periods of time with font hiked up to that level. Um, one of the coolest things that, that Microsoft Word has added in their last couple of versions is the ability to just have the, the processor read to you. And I think that's a great thing. I mean, it, it takes the workload off of my eyes to, to try and read an abundance of text. But also, I mean, I, I, I write how I hear. And so, you know, to hear the text read back to me allows me to really get a grip on, all right, well, that sentence is entirely too long. That's got to be chopped in half and redistributed throughout the paragraph to be able to do this and this and this. And I got exposition in there that's going to have to be shifted in order as that's running long and I need to get to the dialogue you know, there faster. I need a tag there. Being able to have it read back to me is actually a huge asset for my money. Um, you know, so another thing I, you know, I would like to consider, a, a you know, an asset to me, turning the frown upside down, if you will, is, I mean, I key on dialogue. Writing descriptions a lot of time takes a lot of research for me to, to really throw in a lot of detail because I'm, I'm describing something that I may or may not have actually seen myself. Um, but people speaking, I'm very, very keen on that. And so writing character voice, tweaking how people talk, accents, syntax, a lot of that, um, you know, came, came pretty naturally to me at, at the start of my writing career, but it's only gotten better over the years as I've been fortunate to work with a ton of great editors who have taught me how to hone that and, and really fine tune that skill. So, uh, you know, in that regard, I think being sight impaired from a dialogue standpoint does a world to help me. You know, I love how you're looking at the positive in that because, uh, you know, your senses are ramped up. Uh, probably you, you listen and you hear dialogue in your regular life. And so, you, you know, you're transposing that on the page. Do you actually key the, uh, the text in uh, on your keyboard? Uh, or do you? Yeah, yeah. I have not gotten to the dictation part yet, man. I was, believe it or not, I was actually bouncing a tweet with um, a very well-known science fiction author the other day on, on Twitter. Um, who is, that's what he's known for is dictation. And he posted a, um, a, a thing that was an audible clip of the raw reading of him dictating straight from his head, a story. And he said, you know, people have asked me, what does this sound like? And he posted a clip and I retweeted that and was like, man, I'd kill to be able to do that with my work. He said, brother, it takes a ton of practice and I just have not had the time to be able to commit that I'm too wrapped up and just writing the next book. Yeah, so, so get, get experiences and your, your love of what you do and, and, and the challenges you face with writing, what would you tell uh, your younger writing self something valuable uh, that you've learned in your years of writing that might have helped that younger self a little bit? Uh, well, I mean, I, I was fortunate in that I, I really enjoyed doing, when I was first starting to write, I really enjoyed doing what was the number one tip that everybody always gave me, which was read, 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 and not just in your own genre. Uh, you know, listen, I, I burned up 
some Stakely and Ringo and Jonathan Mayberry and Weber and, you know, all of those guys, whenever I was, you know, really cracking hard when I, I mean, from 2008 to 2010, I was unemployed like a whole lot of people. And that gave me a ton of time to read. And all of those guys were, you know, very much staples in my library. Um, but I also read mysteries. I read thrillers. You know, one of my other favorite authors of all time is Louis L'Amour. You know, getting back to when I was a kid, cassettes on tape. You had a ton of Louis L'Amour. So I read all the Sackett's books and Haunted Mesa and all that. Um, so, you know, read, 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 read anything you can in and out of your genre is probably the number one tip that I would give to a young writer. And then write, write, write. You know, I, I think there's a, a lot of emphasis on word count. And I heard that a lot when I was younger and I had a, a lot of pressure on me, you know, from myself to write more words. You know, if you don't get 2000 words a day, that's a failed day. Well, you know what? Sometimes you're going to get 2000 words. Sometimes you're only going to get 250. That's just the nature of the day. And it, it changes. I think the trick is allowing yourself the time and devoting yourself to the discipline of saying, I'm going to sit down from this time to this time every day and I'm going to write. So, you know, in my case, that's about 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. because that's when I got a clock on for my day job. So I'm up, you know, 445 to 5. I take about an hour to have coffee and get into my morning. And then I'm in a chair with fees, you know, with with fingers at keys. Um, that is the other thing I would tell people is don't sweat the word count as much as just building the habit of five days a week or six days a week or three days a week, whatever it's going to be commit to putting yourself in a chair and writing words on screen and do that. And then in time, as you get better at what you do, the words will come. Yeah, that's great advice. And by the way, we could compare a little more collections. I've got a whole bunch in my cabin up at the, uh, up in uh, the Boone area and I, I'll go up on a weekend. I know I've read these stories before, but I'll read them again. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. Okay. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, what, what would you like, uh, or what would you hope that readers uh, can take away from this particular book? I hope they have a good time with it. You know, I mean, I, I, one of the things I love about the publisher that I work with, which is Theogony Books, that's a, an imprint of Chris Kennedy Publishing, is that they are very much about bringing entertaining, message-free fiction to the masses. You know, they want to put stories in front of people that allow you to forget your worries and kick up your feet and just enjoy a, a fun, cool story. And uh, they very much encourage all of their authors to do that. And I'm, I'm no different in that regard. So that's what I enjoy writing. You know, I, I enjoy entertaining people, whether it's with the content we put out on the Dudes and Hyperspace podcasts, whether it's the stuff that I write on page, whether it's inviting people over to my house for a Daytona 500 party and having a big spread of food and a cooler full of ice cold beer. I enjoy seeing people have a good time. And being able to relax, forget about whatever problems are going on in their lives and just chill out for a couple of hours. And it's my hope that this kind of story does that for people. It's action. It's adventure. It's even got an 80s music soundtrack because what Miami Vice anything doesn't, um, you know, it, it's meant to entertain people. So if you get that out of it, then then you made me a happy writer. I just ask that you leave a review wherever you bought it from if you do. Yeah, it, it, it's a nice escape. And for those of us that grew up watching Star Wars and watching uh, the Star Trek series and all the spinoffs, you know, you can find yourself right at home uh, pretty quickly in this book and, and have a good time with it. So listeners, you're going to find uh, photographs, links, and more information about Ian in the show notes uh, at charlottereaderspodcast.com. So check that out. Buy his book. Uh, 
you know, this episode's coming out near Christmas. Make a good Christmas gift for somebody or maybe yourself. So, uh, Ian, uh, thanks so much for being uh, on Charlotte Rears Podcast. Pleasure was all mine, man. Thank you so much for putting on a wonderful production like this and, uh, and for letting me just come play in your sandbox for a few minutes, brother. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written word. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions. You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by OrthoCarolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. OrthoCarolina, you improved.